Here, let me help you with those packages. Oh, how nice. I'll carry that case of beer. Do you live nearby? I live nearby. Can you handle a few more? Oh, I'm pretty strong. Okay, here. <laughs> They're having a birthday special on six packs of six 12-ounce flip-cap bottles of Valentine beer. Yes, but 11 cases. Having a party. Oh, no. My husband said to pick up as many as I could carry. Take advantage of Valentine's birthday special on six packs of 12-ounce flip-cap bottles. Bottles. Send your wife for some. This is WOR, AM and FM, New York. difficult it is to face them on Friday night. Oh, Friday night is fraught with fear and trepidation on all sides. And everywhere I look, I see backsliders. Everywhere on all sides, they're sliding backwards like there ain't no tomorrow. Stand up and be counted. I bet that scared a whole lot of them away from that. Oh, they're hurt. They're frantically looking for a rock and roll station right now. Oh, oh I see evil everywhere I look. Hi, George. Great Scott. Oh, it's a, it's a kill it, kill it there, John. Oh, tonight's one of them nights. Can I get all tuned up in the winter? I'm That's a record that I made in Bangkok. Wait a minute, hold on here. Let's see. All right, let's see. I'll award you the brass figure key with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me what I am playing. And for my next selection, I will play Trees by Joyce Kilmer. <laughs> oh, cheek, ah, cheek, 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 there a bee. Oh, 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 your love, oh, baby, your love belongs to guess who? <laughs> At night when you're asleep. Into your tent, tent, I'll creep, 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 oh, the stars that shine above will light our way to love, for you rule this land with me, baby, I'm the sheik, sheik, sheik of Arab,
the chic, a bear, a bee, woohoo! Your love belongs to me, baby. At night when you're asleep, oh, into your tent, baby, I'll creep, 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 and creep. The stars that shine above me will light a way to love, oh, baby, love. You'll rule this land with me. On the chic, the big shot, the one and only, the number one. I'm the chic, 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 I'll be the bottom. All right. <laughs> I'll hold them for a while. Those guys out there think they can play the kazoo. Blow it out through their nose. Now, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you have to face, a lot of decisions, little momentary things. And one of the first decisions, watch me, John, huh? Give me, watch me, watch Daddy-O here. One of the very first decisions that we have to face every night is which commercial to hit them with quickest. Here it comes. Menthol, great tasting tobaccos, white filter. Newport tastes fresher and tastes better than any other menthol cigarette. Newport tastes fresher, tastes better too than any other menthol cigarette. Gee, wasn't that moving? I mean, there are just some things you just can't listen to without having the desire somehow. It's moving, you know? It's all kinds of movements, however, you know. Uh, that reminds me, listening to that thing there, it's just like the Chinese water drop torture. And uh, have you ever had the feeling from time to time that somebody is slowly boring into your subconscious with a stainless steel bit and they're squirting into it, oozing into it, you know, like the, like the cooks. Have you ever seen a cook ice a wedding cake with the big thing he squirts? They're squirting glop into your soul. <laughs> no matter where you turn, somebody is looking out and says, And now, friends, and now, no, 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 watch me. And now, friends, a word from our sponsor. Here's Stan Getz and Astra Giberto for McLean's. It's McLean's, the toothpaste that cleans with a new kind of taste that's wild. What a taste, what a thing. When you smile, all the bells will ring. Get them white, start tonight with McLean's. Taste the difference, try new McLean's, you go. You still using that sweet kid stuff? Try the toothpaste that gets teeth irresistibly white. You can actually feel McLean's whitening. Your whole mouth feels refreshed and invigorated. Got a white start tonight with McLean's. Taste the difference, try new McLean's, you go. Taste the difference, try new McLean's, you go. 
can't stand it. I can't stand it how much longer. Inch by inch, I am being reduced to a mere shrieking hulk of what once was a magnificent creature, a man, a creature designed to fly, to reach to the heavens, to reach higher and higher, and to spin on elfin silken wings a web of sheer beauty. Ah, how much longer? It's a doggone. After you've gone <laughs> and left me crying, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna be sorry after you've gone. There's no denying. That's all right. Cut out. You'll feel blue. You'll feel sad. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna miss the greatest man that you ever had, and don't you forget it. There'll come a day, and don't you forget it. I mean it, baby. There'll come a day. Oh, boy, you're gonna regret it. You're gonna weep and yell and holler. Get your shoes off. Someday when you're lonely, your heart's gonna bust. Gonna break like mine, and you're gonna want me only. Oh, after you've gone. Yeah, see? Too late again. After you've gone. Away. Bataru, paparu, paparu. After you've gone and left me crying, after you've gone, there ain't no denying. You'll feel blue, you'll feel sad. You're gonna miss the greatest man that you've done ever had. Oh, there'll come a day. Don't you forget it, baby. There'll come a day <laughs> when you're gonna regret it. I'm gonna be on that great Route 66 of life, spinning forever out there in my fantastic Jaguar, trailing clouds of smoke on my way to the coast where things really happen, baby. And you're gonna regret it. And you're gonna want me only. It's gonna be too late after you've gone away. After you've gone, bubble All right, that's enough of that. Just want to let you know that this ain't Tex McCrary. Yes, indeed. Braff, bark. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been debating since it is Friday night, and uh, the parishioners, as I say, uh, during the week they backslide badly, and strong medicine is called for. And I've been thinking about this for the last couple of days, and I'm not sure where I will take my text from. I'm uh, debating. Would you prefer to hear uh, some of the sequences of my hair-raising Toledo tales? I have never told you about the time, did I, that I lived in Toledo. Let me tell you, there are some things you don't talk about. I'll tell you, you know, you can talk about Indiana. You've heard me talk about Indiana because Indiana has a certain, a certain peculiar dynamic mediocrity about it. I mean, Indiana just lays there like a great big fat old decadent pool table. And Indiana has a thing, you know, it's a, it's a place. I mean, uh, there's the Indiana School of Writing. Why do you think so many great writers have come out of Indiana? You notice they come out? Let me tell you, they split out of there like big, fat, speckled birds. I'll tell you, they just don't hang around. They get away as far away as they can about it. They go to Paris and then write about Indiana. You know, in Paris. Uh, they go to, they go to New York and do radio shows about Indiana in New York. <laughs> so, you know, there's a certain thing. But Toledo, it's just like swimming underwater in a gigantic bowl of lukewarm cream of wheat. I mean, it's it, there's just nothing. It, it's just you can't get mad at it. 
Oh, no, you can't. That, by, by the way, that is an, is an interesting point there. A couple of nights ago, we did a show about gas bags, and a lot of people wrote to me, say, oh, you're a gas bag. Me, I'm a gas, merely because I'm on the, oh, no, no, no. You, we've got to clear this up. A gas bag is not a person who speaks or who talks a lot. A gas bag is a man who has the incredible ability to talk endlessly and never get anybody mad. That is a gas bag. He sounds like a gigantic cello. Going, and as we all in our, in our realization of the true ultimate spirit of the great flowering reason that of mankind, as the poet Seneca said, ever upward and ever onward, reaching ever for the sun. This is a gas bag. You can't get mad at him. The only thing that happens is your ears start getting, uh, getting a little moldy. And, uh, you know. <laughs> You start. Uh, that's a gas bag. Now, 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 I I cannot conceivably be a gas bag, judging from the complaints that WOR receives every hour on the hour for thousands of parishioners everywhere, and almost invariably the one thing they say is, "When is that slob going to stop that purported singing?" After you've gone, baby. After you've gone. <laughs> There's no denying, you'll feel blue, you'll feel sad. Let's go, gang, all together now. You'll miss the greatest man that you don't ever have. Ho, ho. There'll come a day all together now. Let's sing it all in unison, and don't forget it. There'll come a day, watch the bouncing ball, when you'll regret it. Follow the words, someday, someday when you are lonely. Now, 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 all together now, you, your heart will break like mine, and you'll want me only. Did you hear that? After you've gone, follow it now, all together now. After you've gone, away. Now, pick it up now. Here we go now. Follow the beat now. All together now. Let's go. After you've gone. That's it. There goes. Let me cry. And there goes that little ball now. After you've gone. Oh, there's no denying. Okay, now. Now, see? Now, that's, it's easy to follow. It's easy to follow the incessant, deep pulse beat of mediocrity. It is everywhere. And that reminds me, this is W O R. Your suffering station in New York. And we have one more little whoopee for you. All together now. Oh, it's Beersville time, friends. Friday night, and for all of you backsliders, we would like to point out that Miller High Life, the Champagnia bottle beer, is the favorite refreshment of dynamic backsliders everywhere across the country. And as the game of golf lures millions of new players to its ranks each year, well, talk about mediocrity and clutziness. Uh, it's sick to realize that it's happening. More and more guys are trying to forget what happened in the afternoon by slopping it in. Miller High Life is served and enjoyed by many. Millions, millions everywhere. Everywhere you look, there are guys stopping up that Miller High Life. It's squirting out of their shoes. It's squirting out of their ears. It's the champagne of bottled beer. Miller High Life, brewed only in guess where. Oh, I don't even have to tell you where it's brewed. What a maniacal town it is. Let's go. Miller High Life. Bye-bye. Gee, that was good, wasn't it, Russ? Reminded me of Ted. That's the way Ted does his commercials. I studied under him. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, now, all right. Now it's it's a uh, it's that time. It's 
time to settle down now and get it going here. And for uh, I'm going to I'm going to put it up to uh, to put it up to a vote now. Do you want to hear, or should I save this for the limelight show? You know, tomorrow night I go on this show at the limelight at five minutes past ten. It is a live show. It's a sneaky live show, and it's down in Sheridan Square, right in the heart of pulsating yeasty village where life is beautiful and rich. Oh, I'll tell you, life is so fantastic and beautiful and rich down there. And there's sensitive people everywhere you look. And it's the village. And we come out of the limelight, which is a place in the village, every Saturday night from five minutes past ten until midnight. Now, if you would like to come down there, and as we say in the village, in our hip way, <coughs> make the scene, uh, I suggest <laughs> that you give them a call down there at the limelight and um, why doesn't somebody call the limelight right now for me and say is Kels there and uh, and uh, Kels will answer and say will you get on the stick just let me know what he says but uh, we'll be down there at five minutes past ten and uh, if you can't make the scene well we're on the air at that time five minutes past ten we come on do they turn on the trance hey Russ you're down here once in a while do they, are, am I actually being broadcast when I'm down there at the limelight do they put it on the air that's what I figured sometimes I mean we can get rid of that crowd of that insane crowd of basketball players and politicians that come in on Saturday however we go on the air at five minutes past ten, and it's a great place to sit around and yell and holler and eat pizza burgers and do the whole bit. And uh, you have to have. Well, I'll tell you this though: if you if you can't get a a reservation, which they'll probably tell you, don't believe them. They're saving it all for their friends, and their friends never show. So if uh, <laughs> if you'd like to come down there, there's a lot of room to stand around. You can hang on to the moose head there and. You know, that's it. we got a moose head, we got an elk's head down there. It's the only place I know where they got a stuffed rhinoceros head on the wall. It's one of their cooks. One of their cooks used to work there years ago. And uh, we'll be we'll be here for a while. Now, I, I don't know whether or not I should tell you this story. I'm thinking about it. Because it's very, very it's very difficult for me to know just how far one can go in, in peeling the onion. Now, you know what? Is it the phrase peeling the onion? You know, of course, that, that many of the psychologists look at mankind, look at man, people, you know, Aunt Frida, everybody. They look at them as if they're a kind of onion. Now, have you ever peeled an onion? You know, you take the first layer off, and there's another layer, right? And then you take that layer off, and what do you get? That's right, another layer, see? And you can keep on practically to infinity. In fact, even when you get down to the inside of a of a of an onion, there isn't any actual core really. There's just a little layer that's got a kind of got caught between all the other layers. You see? Now <laughs> I don't know how far you can go in this peeling the onion before all the other sufferers out there, because it gets very painful. You know, um, although it depends on how you call paint. What you what you think of paint? Have you ever stood and cheered while somebody was in the dentist chair? Well, I have. I, I had this friend who wouldn't go to the dentist unless I went. <laughs> and, uh, no, it wasn't me. No, it wasn't Flick. It doesn't make any difference who it was or who cares who it was. So it was Horace. I don't care. But anyway, this guy would not go to the dentist. It was an announcer I knew in an earlier radio station that I worked in. And we had, we had an announcer, by the way, that had a free-floating upper plate. And uh, it was the only station break I've ever heard that was accompanied by castanets. 
<laughs> and he was killed, by the way, when FM came in, Russ, because he could always blame it on background noise when it was on AM. You know, there was time, but you know, everybody. But when they, when FM came in and the people turned up the gain, you could hear the sound of castanets being played constantly, no matter what he did. Well, <laughs> in this, everyone thinks I'm laughing. We had an announcer. I'll tell you one thing: if you if you want to hear some great announcers, believe it or not. I worked with an announcer who could not pronounce one letter of the alphabet, the W. He could not pronounce, believe it or not. And guess what the call letters of the station was that I was working on? It was WLW. And this guy would come on and he would say, It was fantastic. I mean, it sounded like somebody was squeezing out a dish rag, you know. <laughs> And, and other than that, he was fantastic. He was beautiful. You know, deep, rich, beautiful, rolling, resonant voice. And then there would be a brief pregnant pause. And you could feel he was very sensitive about not being able to make a station break. It was, it's a ridiculous station breaks. He would say, uh, the time is now 10.30. And there would be a pause. And you could sense him getting back in the edge of the studio, pulling on his track shoes and running metaphorically towards the microphone and leaping, tried to make it up and nation station. And and it sounded like another man. And I, I could go on, I could tell you little stories like this, and I don't know whether or not it's really proper or real. I knew an announcer, by the way, Russ, the only announcer I ever knew, who carried his own microphone with him from station to station. He was used to working in these little 30-watt stations where they had these rotten microphones, and he carried his, he was a true itinerant worker in the field, and he carried his microphone around in a, in a velvet bag, one like, you know, a little a jewel bag with a, with the little drawstrings at the top, like a marble bag, and he carried this beautiful electro-voice microphone around in a sack with him, just like Big Spider Beck carried his horn around in a paper bag. And this guy, he'd unplug it. After he'd do his show, he'd unplug it, and he'd polish it off, and he'd put it back in a little purple sack, and he'd plug in the Sears Roebuck double-button carbon mic that we use, you know. And everybody in town thought he was the most fantastic announcer. Of course, they were used to us sounding like we were talking through the, you know, the kazoo. That's the way we sounded, you <laughs> Oh yeah, sure. And it was just a, a very depressing, you know, for for uh, for a, at least this was one of the first radio stations I ever worked in, and they used to record us. You know, the the uh, PD would record us off the air. He'd go home and he had one of these little tape recorders, little Pentron tape, or wind up tape recorder, you know, and it was supposedly it was reportedly a seven a seven was a seven and a half. Well, his actually was about six and three quarters, which added to our problem, and it varied between six and three quarters and nine and a half. And it varied rapidly. It fluctuated over the scale in an elliptical waveform. It was not even a sine wave, you see. And so he, Sam would call us into his office, usually about Wednesday, when he began to feel very insecure and his teeth were hurting. You know, he had these, these plates that squinched in the back. And, and Sam would sit there in the program director's office, and all the while, you see, he's got the monitor speaker, and he's been listening to us. His little band, you see, of showbiz per personalities. And you would get the note. It would say, Sam wants to talk to you. And I would go into the room there, and Sam would be sitting in a swivel chair. I don't know why I'm telling you stories about radio. Sam would be sitting in his revolving, his revolving chair and his rented desk. They had this place they rented the desk for. They rented everybody. They even rented me from that place. And, there, and Sam was sitting there, and Sam would say, I want you to listen now. Just now, 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 
We've talked about this before, Shep. I want you to listen to how you sounded Sunday morning. He said, now look. Look, you realize, of course, how difficult it is to sell your type. And <laughs> so I knew it was a prelude for Sam to tell me that once again, I'm going to have to hinge in my belt and I'm going to have to lose another commercial. Well, now, he used to always point out, he says, why don't any of you guys sound like Herb? Now, Herb is, uh, and Herb, of course, there was Herb sitting in the next room with his Electra voice. His dynamic Electra, his magnificent $600 Electra voice that he bought, you know, or stole from some other radio station. Who knows? And, and I, I'll never forget the first day I discovered that about this guy. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. You know, we used to work in different studios, and, and we all worked our own turntables. You know, the whole schlemuel. And uh, I'd be in studio one, and I'd say, here's here's the way it would go. See, I, I'd be on the air, and say, And I'll have to be And now, I don't know whether you can uh, can decipher that, but that's the way our radio station sounded 20 feet away from the monitor. We always felt that it was because our antenna was down, which was most of the time. We had a very strong ground wave. There would be a brief pregnant pause, and I would throw the switch, and I would throw the studio to, and there's this klutz sitting in there, and he would say, Hello, this is Herb Smith coming to you from Studio One in downtown Toledo. And he's got his hand, you know, around his ear, you know that, Oh, w WSPD, your Toledo broadcasting station. Ah, I'd sit in there, and holy smokes, what a sense of inferiority. This guy rattled, he'd rattle the, the speaker cones and the monitor in there, and he was a little skinny guy. And I'd look in there, and I'd watch his Adam's apple go up and down in his neck. He had one of these Adam's apples that had a play of about eight and a half inches. And you'd hear it go all the way down and hit his rib and then bounce up and get the bottom of the larynx, you know. And I would watch him. Hello, WSPD brings you now the Herb Smith Show. Good afternoon, ladies. Wow. You could just hear... And you could hear all these women all over town. You could hear their girdles creaking. It was just insane. You know, you could hear tears and you could hear people yelling and guys hollering, Turn that guy off! You know, immediately the guys get nervous and they get jealous and all that. It was old Herb Smith booming out of that radio station, a little 250 water. Well, weeks went by, and I'm getting now I'm getting sick. And it was a guy named Doug Tabner in the morning who not only had the worst microphone. We didn't know, you know, we just knew guys. With I, I noticed one very funny thing about all of our microphones. They all had a little button on the back, a little button, and they were little round ones. And there was a little thing on the back that said, "Surprise your neighbors." Cut in on your neighbor's radio shows, surprise them with your own commercials. Apparently, they ordered them from the, you know, in the back where you buy them in the, in the magazines at $1.95. You press the button. They had the button wired down, see? 
and here we were running, and, and I, I, I didn't know, you know, I just thought that was the kind of microphones they had in the radio station. It was very fun. One of them had American Tell and Tell on. It was stolen from a phone, I think. It, you know, they took the phone out, and they had a little thing. And, and we just assumed that that's the way it was in radio. <laughs> we were all eight years old, and I, I just figured that's the way it was in radio, except that Herb was making the scene. And one day, I went in there, into Herb's studio. You see, I was off that day. And I saw something shining in front of Herb. It was a very shiny thing he had there, and it was going along there. And uh, I hung around the studio a little bit. I, I, was, uh, I was wanting to see you, because, you know, there's no question about it that you can tell the professionals from the amateurs, the professionals learn from the real greats. Oh, believe me, uh, Roger Maris watches movies of Ted Williams swinging. It is only Phil Lins that does not watch movies of Ted Williams swinging. You know, the, there's a big difference. I'm serious. That's a fact. And so already I was becoming a pro, and I was watching old Herb Smith work. And Herb looked just like the rest of us, you see. And the funny part of Herb was that Herb didn't sound any different from the rest of us when you were in the studio. I figured it was his fantastic mic technique that he had. And, you know, he talked with a little high voice, sort of like that in normal talk, and it would come out, this is Herb Smith. Coming to you now direct from downtown Toledo, high overlooking Lake Erie. And now, ladies, well, well, I'm sitting back. How does he do it? What does he do? What's he got? Has he got special tight shoes? What is it? What is it? Is it, is it the underwear he wears? He wears the zipper on the side and squeezes it. What, what is it? See? And, and uh, really, I was trying to figure this out. And, and Doug Tabner and I, we were both figuring on assassinating him or something. Doug was on in the morning, and Doug not only had that microphone that I often use, a little round one there with a the button on the side, said A&P on it or something. And, and he had this one. It came as a prize. Uh, something they had. They had one of these contests, you know. And, and, and Doug was on in the morning. Doug naturally had a rotten voice. So Doug's rotten voice, coupled with the microphone, Doug was in hot water constantly. And the only reason Doug ever kept his job was that he was paying the station $25 a week to work. See, Doug was a commercial account. He just paid him. They didn't, you know, they didn't pay Doug. Every morning, Doug was on from 5 until 8, and he would pay them $25 a week at the end of the week. He was getting experience, you see. Well, Doug and I, every day, we'd hear, hear this fantastic guy. And so this one day, I'm sitting in the studio, and I see Herb. And Herb was not aware that I was watching him. And so Herb is sitting there, and he finished. And good afternoon, ladies. This is the Herb Smith Show. We'll see you again tomorrow at this same time. Well, you know, and Herb gets up, and he goes over to the cannon plug on the wall. He unplugs the plug. Well, we never had, you know, nobody ever messed with the plugs on the wall. The engineers come around and do that once in a while. He unplugs the plug on the wall, and he starts taking the screws off. And sure enough, out of his briefcase comes this little velvet bag. In goes the microphone. He takes out of the drawer on the desk. Out comes our little single-button carbon mic, the one that's uh, stolen from the phone company on it. He puts it back in the little thing. He plugs it in. And five minutes later, guess what I'm sitting in front of? Five minutes later, I'm saying, Uh, uh, no, no, no. This is you, Chuck. Give it to me. Don't come to the door, Mr. Dinoza. And the rules are the United States. Oh, you know, there's there's ways to cheat all over. You know, Wilt Chamberlain, you don't think he's actually that tall, do you? They, uh, believe me, someday it's going to, can you imagine? Well, someday it's going to turn out he's got seven-foot Adler shoes on. I, I, everywhere you go, I'm serious, that, that you begin to realize that the real pros have got fantastic equipment attached to them. I'll never forget the time I get in the show, and I had an idea, you know, it's a Broadway-type show, you know, and I had an idea that people who are on Broadway, they sing, you know, they really sing out. 
I have an idea, you know, the, 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 you see the singer. I went to see the show first, and I see the singer down there singing, I love you, I love you. And oh, he what a fantastic voice. Oh, what a fantastic voice. Well, it wasn't until I was in the show for three days I realized this guy had a microphone that went around his neck attached directly to his larynx. And not only that, every time he sang, they played a record backstage of somebody else. And they fed it out through the lozenge. I love you. I love... Everything is phony in this world. Everything. You don't think for a minute that I'm real, do you? <laughs> Listen, I'm far too much of a pro for that. Hit the little thing there, John. <laughs> oh, after you've gone <laughs> and left me crying. After you've gone, oh, baby, baby, there ain't no denying. You'll feel blue, ba-ba-boo. You'll feel sad. Oh, you're going to miss the greatest man you done ever had. There'll come a day. Say, I'm singing great tonight, and don't forget it. There'll come a day when you'll regret it. Someday, someday when you're lonely, your heart will break like mine, and you'll want the only rest with dance after you've gone, after you've gone away. You know, there was a lot of, uh, that reminds me, there, was, there, were about, there were about 15 different ways to be a phony singer. That is a non-singer who convinces everybody they're singing. <laughs> you know, I've been in a couple of musicals, and I know about this. And, and, uh, and one, of the, one of the best ways to be a non-singer is to be the so-called, you know, be part of that, that great Ted Lewis, Al Jolson syndrome. You know, the, the non-singer doesn't really hit any note. This is, this is the kind of thing they do. After you've gone <laughs> and left me crying, <laughs> after you've gone, there's no denying, you'll feel blue, you'll feel sad, oh, you'll miss the greatest man, the greatest man you ever had, the sirree, there'll come a day, and don't forget it, oh, yes sirree, me and my shadow, there'll come a day, oh, Someday, when you are lonely, oh, your heart will break like mine, and you'll want me only. After you've gone, after you've gone, away, 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 oh, wow, oh, yeah. After you've gone, oh, 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 and left me crying. After you've gone, there's no denying, baby. Then you start the talking part. You'll feel blue. You'll feel sad. You'll miss the greatest man you ever had. Well, come a day, you'll miss the greatest man you ever had. Oh, me and my shadow. We're so lonely walking down the avenue. Yes, Siri, Sophie, Tucker, Al Jolson. I want to say hello to all you folks out there. Is everybody happy? Is everybody happy after you've gone? Oh, after you've gone. Away. Is everybody happy? Good evening, Mrs. Callaway. Oh, that's enough of that. Gee, that's a terrible show. Incredible. <laughs> Everybody in the corner, sir, you're okay. It's good, good. Ooh, they got the monitor turned down. They're listening to Fulton Lewis Jr. That's a sick bunch. We'll be um, 
funny thing, I, uh, gee whiz, we don't have, my, I don't have enough time to tell you of the incredibly horrible, the, the horrible incident, as, as it later became known, the, the, the incredible horrid case of the stuffed cabbage and Jeanette Dombrowski, who knew what she was up to. Now, I, I was going to tell you that story tonight. Do you want to hear the story of that? Have you ever been madly in love with a Polish girl? Oh, there's something yeasty about Polish girls. Really, I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, I come from, I come from a, a part of the country where every other person was either Polish or Lithuanian. And all through my formative years, I was madly falling in and out of love with various types of Polish chicks and being taken to various types of Polish fates, fets, fate, whoopies. <laughs> That's better. And that uh, one of my one of my one of my greatest experiences I ever had uh, from the standpoint of uh, of truly being truly involved in the gutsy right down rock bottom compost heap world of true living was the night I went to a Polish wedding. The first time I went to a Polish wedding. I used to think parties, you know, my idea of a party was when my grandpa Charlie and my father and Uncle Carl would sit around the kitchen table and play pinochle. That <laughs> was my idea of party. Wow. You know, do you ever, you ever watch these Rheingold commercials on TV? They're great. And, uh, and yet they don't go quite far enough because they, they, they show everybody being happy. The one thing they don't show that happens in every one of those parties is the giant fist fight. Now, I have been to 25 various types of Polish weddings. I've been to various types of Lithuanian weddings. I have been to a couple of Greek affairs. I never forget the Hungarian affair that I, I went to one night. I, uh, believe me, it started out from the very instant. The first guy arrived. He was fighting. He was fighting with the, with the ham on the table there. He was just, and by the time the evening left, oh, it was one giant fight. It went from 9 o'clock all the way to 4 o'clock the next morning when the last guy was thrown into the green wagon and taken down to, down to headquarters. And now, now I, now I'm, you know, this is all part of the human game, Mutlik. You know, it's all part of the, of the spirit. And, and in fact, the, the happy sense of, of the moment that the party has really begun to swing is when you hear the first crunch of fist against tooth and the first muffled middle Europa expletive. Wow, you're off. You know, I, don't, I don't know what language that one was. I hope none of you can understand it. It's a fantastic expression that I picked up playing softball. You know, uh, sometimes the, 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 only, the only guy I've ever read who writes about this world, the world of the fist fighting softball player, which I am and was of. The only guy that I've ever read who ever wrote, a serious writer, who ever wrote a story about the south side of Chicago and the softball players was Nelson Algren. Now, I'm sure that most people who've read this, they don't, they, you know, this doesn't mean anything to them because they don't know that world. It's a it is as complete a world as that strange little inverted world of J.D., that's right, of J.D. Salinger on the Upper East Side here, which means nothing to my mother living in the South Side. But I want to tell you, gosh, I wish I'd thought about it. Remind me next week to tell you some fantastic softball stories. Now, softball is played among big, grown-up, tough guys in the Middle West, believe me, the way mafia vendettas are played in Sicily. 
There is no messing around. And there's a very and and since we all play in the same, you know, it's it's a league. We're constantly playing each other, like we're playing the Emmanuel Brethren of of uh, <laughs> of Blue Island. Let me tell you, for one solid week before we played the Emmanuel Brethren, we just practiced swearing. We would practice fist fighting with each other. We did not practice hitting. We did not practice throwing. Bolus would hit me in the gut. See, that would be to get me prepared for the first time I arrived on first base, and the first baseman, you know, made the fake tag. He'd hit in the gut with the ball. Pooh, you're down, you'd go. Well, you'd get up, you see, and you're wearing spikes. And so you'd get up, and you'd cleverly march. You'd, you'd go off the bag, you know, you'd take your lead of about a foot and a half, and then you would pretend like you're darting back to first base, and you'd strip him from kneecap all the way down to ankle. Wow! Down you'd go. You'd strip him like you're, you're, like you're peeling a cucumber. And he would get up, and within 30 seconds, the entire it's a moiling, fantastic battle. Well, that's the way we would practice for our ball games. I would arrive at first, and Bolas would pretend to be first baseman, see? And he would turn with the ball, hit me in the gut. Then I would I would sneak off of first, see, watching the pitcher with one eye and Bolas with the other. The instant Bolas's eyes go towards the batter, I'd say, oh, I'd slide back, he'd jump, he'd say, that's ah, fine, he's going to get him this week. Very good, Chip. Bolas was the manager. Then we we practiced in sliding in high. We would run towards third, full tilt, and slide in on our bottom, you see. With, have you ever seen a guy slide in on his bottom with both his feet up, with 18 spikes pointed towards this guy's gut? 18, we'd slide in, and then at the last instant, instead of making a kick for the bag, you kick for his breastplate. You kick right, you just, oh, like that, see? And he's trying to put the tag on one of your feet or something, you know? <laughs> Listen, should I tell you about the time that, and, and you won't believe this, what I was playing for, I was playing for a church. This, we had about as much connection with this church, believe me, as Al Capone had, <laughs> as Al Capone seriously had with the local parish, you know, that kind of thing. And, and we were sort of hired by the church, literally. And all these, and, and the way they hired us was by providing us with uniforms. That's all. That was our pay. We got the uniforms, we got the equipment, and we wore their co their letters, you know, there across the front. It's just a United Brethren is what I played for. I played for the UB. And <laughs> the UB. And I'll tell you there was not a Christian on the lot. Uh the, the the entire crowd we were not we were neither Jewish nor anything. We were there was the biggest crowd of pagans, true barbarians you ever saw. And and uh, you know they always talk about taking the Lord's name in vain. Listen, I'll tell you it was disgusting. I can only tell you that 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 after after four innings of this and, and the the score is nothing to nothing, and you are standing up there at the plate and this big left hander who is nine feet tall is throwing him in sidearm illegally, and and you have whiffed for the second straight time, and now, <laughs> and now oh I'll tell you and the lights are flickering out there in the outfield we had these yellow lights we had special lights and when when they played in our field I want to tell you how how tricky it got. When they played in our field, see, we played away and home games. You see, and all these games were at night. All, every last one of these games were at night. And and when they played at our field, we had we had lights. Now, don't worry about it. We had lights, these big, big, big lights out there. And down under our little dressing room, they had a variac, and they could set the lights at three quarters, or you could set them up full. And the only <laughs> 
when they were at bat, the lights were set at three quarters. They never could tell it. And when we were up at bat, they'd crank them all the way up, and boy, you'd see that ball. And of course, we it was all part of the game, because when we went to there, sometimes it was funny. Between innings, you could see perceptibly, you felt like your eyes were going bad. We would be playing away, and it would be getting darker and darker. And as I'm getting up to bat, I could see the faint outline of the pitcher out there, just faintly. And then I'd hit a fly ball, see, and all of a sudden the lights would come up, and the outfielder would be circling under it, you know? <laughs> you want to hear more stories of softball? Oh, boy. I'll tell you the time that we were playing in a, in a place called Hegwish, Illinois. Hegwish, Illinois is called, in Chicago, it's called No Man's Land. It's literally called No Man's Land, and we were playing one night a doubleheader in Hegwish. We were playing Emmanuel Conception, of all places. <laughs> oh, boy. We had a riot that started in the middle of the third inning, and, and it was about 8.30 at night, and went on till 1 o'clock in the morning, sporadic fighting in the bushes. There... <laughs> The fights went up into the trees and under the porches, up and down the alleys, and everybody wearing softball uniforms and spikes and carrying gloves and bats. Oh, we had special what we call fighting bats. We had bats that we, that we, yeah, we had bats that we used to bat with, and we had bats immediately to pour to the dugout and get the fighting bats out with the nails through the front. You know, oh wow. We'll see you tomorrow night at five minutes past ten on the Limelight Show. Thanks.